Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Let's pray. Our Father, our desire this morning is that you would be exalted, and our praise band has led us in exalting you. I'm so grateful to you for them and for the leadership that they bring our church family on Sunday mornings. Lord, we lift you up, and Lord, as you have been lifted up in the worship and the song, I pray that you would be lifted up in the message. And Lord, as you're lifted up in the message, I pray that during the invitation, you'd be lifted up by the decisions that people make. God, prepare our hearts even now for the invitation, that time when decisions are made that are life-changing, that have an eternal impact. Lord, I pray for people who need to come and trust you to be their Savior, to make that initial decision to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are, are already in a relationship with Christ, but they need to unite with a local church, maybe join for baptism. Lord, I pray for those who have some other concern, some other praise, some other decision that they need to make. You've been dealing with them about it, and I pray, Lord, that today would be a day when they decide to make that decision in their lives. Bless us now, Lord, as we open your word and read it and speak about it. May you be honored in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. We are processing through a series on the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament. We have been going through this uh, process since early July, and we will be continuing this process for about another month up until uh, Thanksgiving. But today we're in Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and we're going to focus on verse 3 in the message, faith and creation, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Hebrews chapter 11 is one of the key chapters, one of the, uh, one of the, the solitaire diamonds amongst a whole cluster of diamonds that makes up uh, our, our scriptures, the Word of God. And uh, what we have here is a writer who is concerned about his congregation, as you already know. He's writing to some folks who are Christians, but thinking about abandoning their simple Christian faith. There are a variety of reasons for this. Things have not turned out like they thought things would. Life has not turned out like they thought life would uh, since they had received Christ and become Christians. And so they're thinking about backing off of that commitment to Christ. It's something that is happening to people in our day. Just this past week, 
There was a revision of a statistic that I have shared with you, even in the context of this series, uh, and it is this, that the largest group of people in a religious category in the United States is, uh, or the fastest growing category among religious groups in the United States is a category called the unaffiliated. They call them the nuns, because on surveys, when they're asked about religion, they put none. Twenty years ago, that group made up just less than 8% of the population of the United States. Five years ago, they made up 16% of the population. And just this past week, surveys uh, that have been tracking this by the Pew Research firm indicated that, that literally 20%, one out of every five citizens in the United States, is a nun. Not N-U-N, N-O-N-E, nun. That is, they uh, have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Now, among those nuns, you have some folks who, are, who don't believe in God or they claim that they, they cannot possibly know there's a God, and they make up somewhere roughly around 7 or 8% of the population. But the rest of those people that make up that 20% of nuns are people, many of whom used to attend church like ours, used to attend Bible study like ours, but for some reason, they become disappointed with church, maybe disappointed with God's people, maybe disappointed with what they thought the Christian life was going to be, and they've backed away. And it is those kind of folks that the writer of Hebrews is, is reaching out to, urging them to hang on to their faith with a white-knuckled grip. And so for 10-plus chapters, he has been writing to these people, urging them not to go back. And in chapter 11, he gives two things. He gives a definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the King James uh, rendering of that verse. It's a definition of faith. It is substance, substance, something that, that undergirds our stance, holds us up, supports us. And it is also evidence, not in, not in the way of scientific proof, but it is a conviction of things as true, even though we don't have yet all the scientific evidence for them. That's what faith is. So he gives a, a definition of faith, and then he's going to spend the rest of the chapter giving demonstrations of this Christian faith. But before he goes into all those demonstrations of all of the Hall of Famers of faith, like Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Noah and all the way down the line, he pauses in verse 3 to give us this pregnant verse. It's a short verse, but it is so jam-packed with jewels that there's no way to fully unpack them. You could, you could write literally thick books, volumes of thick books, just on Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 3. It is that kind of verse. In this verse, there are, generally speaking, four general truths embedded that I want us to understand. First of all, this verse tells us that God created or formed the universe. He says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, at God's word, at God's initiation. God is the one who is behind it. There's a lot of debate in our world over 
uh, creation, over how it transpired, how long it took to, to, for, for God to do what God did that resulted in uh, our universe being here. Uh, all of that debate is, uh, is just really a, a lot of noise when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, I think, because the Bible is most clear on this one thing, and that is who did what. And the Bible tells us that God is the one who did these things. He's the one who created the universe. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the, upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said. And from that point on, throughout that poetic chapter, we, we hear God saying for things, commanding at his voice for things to, to uh, be created, and they were. God created the universe. The second thing that this verse tells us is that God created the universe over ages of time. Over ages of time. Now, I read from the New International Version, and uh, like so many of our newer versions, the New International Version does not fully capture everything that is in this this uh, phrase, the universe was formed at God's command. One of the Greek words in that phrase is the, the word aeon. We get our word eon from it, which means ages, ages or eras of time. It's in that verse in the Greek text. And what he's basically saying, uh, the writer, is that by faith we understand that the world, through the successive ages of time, through the eons of time, was formed by the very word or command of God. The Amplified Bible captures it, says this, By faith we understand that the worlds, during the successive ages, were framed, fashioned, put in order, equipped for the intended purpose by the word of God. The Phillips translation says this, and it is after all only by faith that our minds accept as fact the whole scheme of time and space that was created by God's command. Kenneth Wiest, in his translation, says it this way, by means of faith we perceive that the material universe and the God-appointed ages of time were equipped and fitted by God's word for the purpose for which they were intended. The Young's Literal translation says it this way, by faith we understand the ages, that's the eons, the ages to have been prepared by a very saying of God in regard to the things seen not having come out of things appearing. So this verse tells us that God created the universe. This verse tells us that God created the universe over the ages of time. And then third, this, this verse tells us that God created the universe out of things unseen. I don't know of anybody who disagrees with that, that God created this world out of things unseen. The word created, the Hebrew word that we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created, it literally means to create out of nothing. If you go back, 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 however far history has taken us, and there's a lot of debate over that, but if you go all the way back somewhere, there's only God and nothing else. God is the only thing that has always existed without a beginning. Everything else began to exist at some point. It had a beginning. 
But you go back so far and when there was nothing but God and nothing for God to have created everything that was, he had to have created it, begun that process out of nothing. Now, you and I, we can't make something out of nothing. It is impossible for us to make something out of nothing. We must have ingredients before we can actually turn those ingredients into something else, but not God. God created out of nothing because God and only God can do that. The scripture in this verse says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen, that is our universe, was not made out of what was visible. So this unseen God created out of unseen uh, things, because they were nothing, our universe. Only God can do that. So God created the universe out of things unseen. Now, finally, and here's his main point in this verse, it takes faith to understand both the existence of God and that the universe was created out of things unseen. It takes faith for that. Because you and I cannot prove or disprove any of those things. We can't prove or disprove that God created the universe. We cannot prove or disprove that he created it out of nothing. To me, it's logical. But as far as scientifically proving it, we can't. And if we could prove it, listen, then our belief would be based upon proof, not faith. It'd be based upon sight, not faith. And yet throughout the scriptures, we are told over and over again in a, ver- in a myriad of ways that our relationship with God and our relationship with Christ and the beliefs that we hold dear are based upon faith. Paul said we walk by faith, not by sight. And so the person who insists on scientific proof, that is sight, in order for that person to believe, he or she will never believe because he or she will never get on this side of eternity that scientific proof. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not information that heavily suggests what the Bible contends to be true. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that no one has ever seen God at any time. John tells us that nobody has seen God at any time, but the Son is the way that we see God. So nobody's seen God at any time, and yet there were people, the disciples and whoever lived at Jesus' time, who saw him, and he was God. They saw him as God. The Bible is is, uh, fuzzy on that to me. Nobody's seen God at any time, and yet there were some people who saw God because they saw Jesus. In the Old Testament... We see this idea of people really being afraid to see God. Abraham was afraid to see God. Uh, God came to him one time. There's a place where three, at first it says three men came to see him and Sarah to tell them they were going to have a child. Then later we find out that uh, at least two of the three were angels. And then later we find out that one of the three uh, strangers who came to visit him was God. And so Abram saw God and God had the image of a man when Abram saw him. And yet the Bible says that no one can see God, no one has seen God. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, God passed by him. Moses had made a request. He said, God, show me your glory. 
And God said, I'm going to pass by, but you, you, you're not going to be able to see me. You just won't be able to handle it. And so when God went by, he, he put his hand over Moses' face, and he went by him. And the Bible says that, that Moses then was able to see God's back. What that means, I believe, is that, that Moses was able to see where God had been. I think that's about as close as we get today. We're able to see where God has been. I see people who make a a decision to receive Christ, an authentic decision to enter into a relationship with Christ, and and they receive Christ, and and over the course of their lives, you can watch that, that person or those persons, and you can see where God has been in their lives. But the fact that this verse in 1 John 4.12 says, no one has ever seen God at any time. And you couple that with uh, Hebrews 11 verse 3 where it talks about things unseen. And this God who is unseen, who created and formed the universe over these ages of time, it poses a problem for a lot of people because they, they can't bring themselves to believe in a God who can't be seen. So many people are crying out something similar to what Moses said, God let me see you, and I will believe you. I hope it goes without saying that I believe in the existence of God. If it doesn't go without saying I have a problem, it's my problem. But I believe in the existence of God, and I think there's good logical reason for believing in the existence of God. And let me, I want to give you these three. They're, they're really difficult. They're really complex. But, but I, I think it's important for you and, you and me to know these things. First of all, I believe in the existence of God because the necessity of a cause to the universe suggests the existence of God. They call this the first cause argument for God's existence. And it basically goes like this. Everybody believes that something has always existed. One thing has always existed. For some, that's the material universe. They believe the universe had no beginning and will have no end. They believe that the material universe is all there is. That's not what I believe. I I don't think that's what you believe. My personal belief is that God is that one thing that has always existed. He's the only thing that never began to exist. Everything else began to exist. Now, follow me here. Anything that began to exist had a cause that prompted its existence. Anything that began to exist. You say, well, why don't you apply that to God? Because God never began to exist. You follow me? You see, God never began to exist. He's just always existed. God has always been God is. That's the reason why in the Old Testament when Moses says, I don't know your name, God says, tell him I am, I am. It's always in the present tense. God always is an is. He's not a has been. He's not a will be. He's an is. God is. God is the only thing that has, that has never begun to exist. Everything else began to exist. Now, what that means is that everything else must have had a cause that prompted it to be in existence. What is that first cause then? The first cause argument says that 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 first thing that caused everything else to begin to exist, that first thing that was not something that began to exist, is indeed God. That's 
So if everything else began to exist, then it had to have a cause, and that cause must be God. There must be something that caused, something that has always existed that caused everything else to come to its existence. There's another reason why I believe in the existence of God, and that is because the evidence of design in our universe suggests the existence of God. We call it the design argument. And basically, it goes like this. If you look at our universe and our world and scrutinize it carefully, what you find is an enormous amount of design in this universe. Think about the laws, uh, the natural laws that are in our world. The law of gravity, for instance, here within our atmosphere on Earth. I mean, if you've got something that's heavier than air and you have it in your hand and you let go of it, it's going to the ground. It will always go to the ground if it's something that is heavier than air because the law of gravity says it's going to do so. The law of gravity has not changed since the earth and its atmosphere was created, since it came into being. G.K. Chesterton, a writer of long ago, he said about design, he said, you know, he said, if I go into the African jungle and I find one elephant among the hundreds of thousands of elephants, only one elephant with a trunk, he said, I'm going to find that odd. But he said, if I go in there and I find among the hundreds of thousands of elephants, hundreds of thousands of elephants with a trunk, I think that's a plot or a plan. He was simply saying that it, it appears there is a design to what we have in the universe. Let me put it this way. Let's suppose that you were in a boat and you got lost. You were Gilligan in the 21st century. I know half the people in here claim they don't know who Gilligan is. Y'all are telling the falsehood. But you get to an island and you come to, a, to a, a deserted island or what you think is a deserted island. Nobody appears to be on the island. But on the beach, in big trench letters, S-O-S, you get out. Does it even remotely cross your mind that that S-O-S just kind of randomly happened there that somehow the winds coming off the ocean that that uh, embraced that beach somehow made SOS on it that never occurred to you the first thing that occurs to you is somebody is either here or they have been here hello I mean is that clear it's evidence of design the universe that we have is so full of these SOS carvings to pull it to put it metaphorically, that, that it cries out for a designer. Listen to this. The premise of a fine-toned universe is this, that a small change, there are 26 different, uh, different constant dimensions. Now, I don't understand all that, but I, I, I believe the folks who are far smarter than I am who can tell me about it. There are 26 constants in our universe. And the chances for all those 26 constants to come together at one time in one place, and they would all have to come into to place at one time and in one place for us to be able to have life on earth, the chances of them coming together at one time in one place to allow for life on earth as we have it 
are so remote as to be almost impossible. In fact, it would be more possible, this is not a joke, it would be more possible for a hurricane to come off the Gulf and hit a junk pile of metal in Destin, Florida, and whip that junk up and sit and put it together and and produce a 747 jet airline fully operational. The chances are are more likely for that to happen than for all of these 26 dimensionless constants to come together at one time in one place to make life on earth allowable for human life. So what do you say? I'm saying that there's so much reason for design, to believe design in our universe, and evident that design points toward a designer. And then finally, I believe in the existence of God because I believe that God's existence gives real meaning to life. They call it existential meaning. It has to do with meaning. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, he says, if in this life only, if it's only in this life that we have a hope, we are miserable. In fact, we're most miserable. Think about it. If there is no God and if, if when you die it's all there is, then the only meaning to life is that in the short little blip compared to all of history that you're here, just uh, live a good life and make the best of it and try to make your mark, and then you die and you're gone. And that's it. Is that all the meaning there is to life? You see, the existence of God means that your life is more than just what you do here, although that is enormously significant. But what it means is, if there's a God, then your meaning is not only for here and now on this earth, but it is also for another place. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, if you get hungry and you desire a certain food, that desire suggests that there is that particular food that you desire for. If you are cold and you are wanting a blanket, the fact that you have this desire suggests that there is something like a blanket that will quench that desire. He says, if in my heart and my soul I have a desire for something beyond this life, something bigger than this life, he says, what it suggests to me is that I was made for another world. This is The one thing that turned C.S. Lewis from being an ardent atheist to one of the most devoted Christians and later Christian scholars that Christianity has ever produced. God's existence gives meaning to your life. Otherwise, folks, we're without a hope. We're hopeless. So I believe in the existence of God. But you know what really is important in these verses? He says here that God framed the worlds, the universe, by his word. Not just the written word. In fact, that's not even what he's referring to here. He's referring to his living word, Jesus. John says in John 1, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word, Jesus, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then he says this, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the word through whom God framed the universe. But here's the real personal question. Are you allowing this living word to frame you? 
Are you allowing this living word to frame your life? Because you know what? As important as the existence of God and how God framed, what God framed, as important as those questions are, they don't mean anything unless you and I are allowing this living word who is Christ to frame our lives according to his will. In this invitation today, you and I are being invited to allow Jesus to frame our lives. For some of you, that means that you need to receive Christ as your Savior. Begin that process of him framing your life. Chris Gould is going to be up here during the invitation, and he will help you if you need him to help you pray through your decision to receive Christ. If you're already a Christian, but you need to rededicate your life, or if you need to come and join the church, if you need to join for baptism, this invitation is a time for life change for you. What does God want to do in your life? And will you allow him to frame your life? Let's pray. Our Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that during this time, we would all stop, pause, and really think about what it is that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, I pray that somebody's life will be changed beginning right now. In Jesus' name, amen.